welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about all the basics regarding representation, agents or managers. This is really about giving you an overview of what the different reps are about, what they do, when you should start pursuing them versus letting them pursue you. So first of all, let's define what representation is. What are some differences between the managers versus the agents versus the lawyers? Broadly speaking, managers are there to help with your long-term career plans, while agents are focused on more case-by-case deals and projects that might be coming your way or you might be going out for. So agents facilitate these sales, deals, and jobs, like staffing jobs. They're what you would call servicers. And managers tend to offer more development, both for scripts and for your career, and they're sort of almost nurturers in a way. On this episode, we'll be mainly talking about representation in the context of managers and agents. Lawyers are technically also considered representation, but they're more paid a once-off fee to negotiate and execute a specific contract and make sure that basically you don't get screwed. They're not really there to work with you as an artist or as a writer. You might use the same lawyer over and over again because you trust them, but you're not really tied to them in the same way that you would be with an agent or manager. In terms of actual legal definitions as well, agents and lawyers are the only ones who are licensed to negotiate legal contracts. Managers cannot do that. On the other hand, legally, agents aren't allowed to produce projects, whereas managers can and will. A little later, we'll go on to what a manager-producer hybrid is, when they should and shouldn't be producing your projects, and that kind of thing. All right, now let's talk really about the core of representation, which is the relationship between the artist and the representative or the agent or the manager. By and large, your rep is an extension of yourself as an artist albeit on the industry end, i.e. the business of show business. On the first basic level, they're there to make introductions, connect you to people, call in favors, put you in the room to meet potential decision makers. So in a way, they're like tastemakers. They're the ones that some people will listen to, especially in terms of new talent or new voices that may not be known outside of their offices. So those people like development executives and showrunners and things like that are often relying on these agencies to send them the talent that they're going to be using for their projects and for their shows. They trust their judgment and uh, that they are representing good people. And I think there's this traditional image of the agent as this car salesman, sleazy guy. And one of the most interesting representation that I've come across in media regarding reps and agents specifically is from the HBO TV movie The Late Shift, which is based on the nonfiction book by Bill Carter about the war of late night between Leno and Letterman. And there's a moment in the movie where David Letterman realizes that NBC is about to give Jay Leno the Tonight Show hosting duties instead of him. And so he's kind of frustrated and confused about what to do next. And his friend Peter advises him, oh, you should meet this Hollywood agent guy from CAA called Mike Ovitz. And there's this almost iconic scene in the movie where Mike Ovitz pitches himself to David Letterman. And we now go live to a production of uh, The Late Shift featuring Nick Watson. Do you want me to do an American accent? Oh, if you can do this, this is, will be amazing. Okay. Nick Watson <laughs> as Mike Ovitz from CAA. We pride ourselves here at CAA in developing a career plan for our clients that protects them as much as it enriches them. David has set such an incredibly high professional standard, and yet he is going disturbingly unrewarded. 
that just doesn't make any sense. It's simply bad business practice. Obviously, we have an interest in establishing a business relationship with you, Dave, and you, Peter. Frankly, we have worked out a career plan for David, and it includes securing everything for Dave that he wants. Everything. Of course, that means an 1130 TV show. Dave will be offered an 1130 show, and he will be offered it by every network. The geometry of the deal will be far larger. The studios will be in, the syndicators, the full range of the entertainment industry. We shall frame a deal that will make you one of the giants. And if you give us the privilege of working with you, CAA will take care of everything your talents deserve and his spirit desires. Wow, it's almost like the devil giving giving you a deal, right? <laughs> yeah, it seems that way. I think that was one of my first encounters with that aspect of the industry, at least in fiction, because this movie came out 20 years ago or something. And I definitely recommend seeing the movie because it's a really interesting deep dive into the television world. Now, the reason why I brought this specific example is I think that's one extreme of what many people think an agent represents is this almost like devilish car salesman person who will make every dream come true. But the other end of the spectrum are maybe people who basically don't respond to your emails because you're like cold emailing like creeps or whatever. And I think there's a middle ground there in terms of what an agent and manager really is in terms of the relationship with you as a client. And Nick, if you wouldn't mind talking us through the differences between the big agencies like CA and so forth versus the more boutique and mid-level and how they approach their relationship with their clients. Absolutely. So this is speaking in generalities. There are obviously going to be differences in individual agents and how they approach their things. But there is this distinction between what people call the big four which is CAA, WME, UTA, and ICM, versus these more mid-level or boutique agencies. Some of those more mid-level ones might be Gersh, Paradigm, Verve, Abrams, etc. And then there are also smaller little names in, in places. Essentially, the bigger agencies have the advantage of what's called packaging. And they have these entire departments that are dedicated to packaging, which is essentially going around and finding talent to attach to a project, whether that be actors, directors, even producers who have deals with studios and networks and that kind of thing. They're They're trying to make a particular project the most attractive it can be so that people will want to buy it and it'll get into a competitive situation where it makes the most money for everyone. So for example, if you were a young writer and you had written this brilliant script, but you've never run a show before in your life, you've never even been in a room, they would take it to a showrunner they have internally who's proven who has relationships with studios and networks, and they might attach one of their big stars to it, and suddenly your show is actually getting made next year. And then agencies will take what's called a packaging fee as a result of putting this all together. Those often cause bidding wars, right? Wasn't it True Detective that was already packaged with both Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey for the first season? Mm -hmm. I think that caused so many networks who want to get it. And I think HBO obviously was the first one to say yes, even though I think AMC and FX, I remember John Langraff, I believe, in an HRTS panel a couple of years ago. It was either FX, John Langraff or Netflix, 10 Sarandos, but one of them was saying how the show he always wanted to get was mm. True Detective. Right. But as soon as HBO said yes, they just could not say no to HBO. And that's probably because they had this huge package deal with Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson and this awesome story. Absolutely. And packaging is more and more important these days. A lot of projects don't go if they don't have an attractive package. And it's actually kind of how agencies get around this restriction on producing is by packaging things and taking fees for that. An attractive package. (laughs) Don't go there. Speaking of management companies, there is a similar distinction between what are considered the big flagship management companies, places like Prince of Butter Young, Three Arts, Gotham Group, Authentic, versus any small management company you can think of, which could be anything 
from one manager by themselves on their cell phone working out of their home to smaller little boutique places. And the reason there's such a big gap is because unlike agencies, you don't necessarily need a license, correct? Mm-hmm. I think that's why so many people end up becoming managers. Like there's an easier way into being a manager than there is being an actual licensed agent. Absolutely. I believe that legally, in order to be a talent agency, you require a license from the Californian government at the very least on a state level. And through that, people are authorized to be talent agents, whereas managers, as far as I'm aware, it's not a legally protected title in the same way that you could call yourself a therapist and you don't need (laughs) a psychology degree. But if you called yourself a psychiatrist, you could get in trouble because you don't have that. So I did not know there's a distinction, TIL. Yeah, there is, at least in Australia. I assume it's the same over here. Anyway, so management companies... In terms of the divide between the bigger names and the smaller names, what you're balancing here is more often bigger relationships and connections and selling power against the individual attention and carefully cultivated targeted relationships and trust that comes with an approach that it's not as scattershot and indelicate as some of the bigger companies where they might be sending out 20 writers for meetings rather than one person who has a very strong relationship and who trusts is like, hey, I've got this one writer and they're really good. You really need to meet them kind of thing. I mean, it's almost like a department store versus a really more tailored approach. Absolutely. Back on that thing about how managers are also allowed to be producers, a lot of these bigger companies are management and production companies like Gotham or Three Arts, and they have a tendency to attach themselves to almost every project that gets brought to them by their clients. And this has its benefits and it has its disadvantages as well. Some of these places even have overall deals or first look deals with studios, and that can be really great to actually get your stuff made because they're expecting a certain amount of content to come out of these places. But at the same time, it can also sync projects. If you have what they call baggage producers attached to something who are getting a producer credit and fee by virtue of only having brought the project or representing the writer, and they're not going to actually involve themselves in any way creatively, or maybe they are, but they're going to be interfering creatively, and people don't want to share that with someone. They don't want to have these other voices and cooks in the kitchen. Some people won't even touch that project if they know that there's going to be 10 producers who they have to argue with over every draft of the script. They really want as much control as possible, and that's particularly true for studios and networks. It's like when you're on your first date, you don't want someone to bring in all that baggage that they have from past relationships. <laughs> I guess so. It's a, it's a completely different world. Where you, what, what am I talking about? <laughs> they bring in all of their exes attached to them, and you have to... 10% of the, the, the dinner is going to yeah, be... you've got to run it by them every time you want to take them for a date. Anyway... Uh, <laughs> The other thing you need to watch out for there is what's called double dipping. That is when a company... Whoa! Well, I'm not talking about it dates, Alex. Get your mind out of the gutter. Double dipping is when companies or managers will take producers' fees from your projects that they are quote-unquote producing, as well as their 10% for representing you as a manager. They should usually only be taking one or the other, whichever is larger, or usually the producer's fee. Make sure that you're not having your projects sunk by producers who aren't a value-add to your project, and they're taking you for more money than they deserve to get. Don't get swindled by your reps, basically. Let's move on to maybe a question many of you may have, which is, should I get a rep? Is a rep really worth it? Simply put, it depends on your level and your goal. There's a big distinction whether you're a brand new aspiring writer, whether you're someone getting contest wins or some kind of traction, whether you're someone getting their first script as an assistant or even someone about to be staffed. 
There's this old adage that agents or managers will find you rather than the flip of that. So that's true in some regard. For example, you've written a short film and it gets into Sundance or your script is getting a lot of heat and being passed around town. And so people start calling you and being like, hey, I want to read your stuff or I want you to come in for a meeting. But that doesn't mean that there are things that you can't be doing to help catch their attention. You shouldn't just sit at home writing scripts and expect a manager is going to come knocking on your door and be like, excuse me, sir, can I sign you? Wait, excuse me, sir. How did you get my script? <laughs> Certainly once you're working, whether freelance or staff, there will be a lot of agents chasing you down and willing to wrap you because you will already be making the money. You're sort of a guaranteed bet. Absolutely. A lot of it is dependent on that level and experience in the industry that you may or may not have. If you're a writer's assistant or above, and assuming you've been there long enough in an environment that is known to be friendly to writers, like a showrunner who is known to give out scripts to assistants and so forth, then you are already primed to get a script in the near future, potentially. So the likelihood of an agent, quote, finding you interesting becomes exponential. They may see an easy 10% there, but more importantly, they're already seeing someone who's been hustling, someone who's been working, and someone who's already about to get their first big break and their first credit. I have this friend who's on this HBO show right now, and I think she's the writer's assistant on it, and she just got her first script. As in, she's running an episode of the actual show, but she's not repped yet. And already she's getting approached by all these agents. And although it's an easy win, quote unquote, to get repped by X, Y, and Z, she's not really taking any of them until she finds the perfect fit for what she wants. She's in the power position here because she's already getting paid to write an episode regardless of the agent's involvement. So it behooves her to find the perfect fit for her. I think it's always important to ask yourself, do I need a rep right now? And if so, why? You want to think about what an agent offers versus what a manager offers, like we said before. Are you looking for deals and jobs right now? Or are you looking for development and relationships and career planning? You know, what do you need the most? People kind of assume that you need an agent or manager to make it. And once you have it, you're set for life. But it's obviously more nuanced than that. For example, if you've already managed to get yourself staffed on a show, you might not need to rush out and find both an agent and a manager because they're just going to eat up 20% and you won't even have time to be leaving the writer's room and taking meetings until that show wraps anyway. So it's all about thinking about the timing of it and when it's going to be important to you and what it will actually do for you at this stage. Yeah, absolutely. I think in that transition phase where maybe you're on the verge of getting staffed or getting a script, I'm definitely in the camp that you shouldn't necessarily be going all out and finding a rep. I think the priority is more about your actual career and getting that script and, and working really well in the room to make a really good impression to get that script. Now, in my mind, there are really two questions to be asked when you're wondering whether or not a rep is good for you. Let's say you figured out who you want to rep you or you have an idea of who you want to pursue. There's two questions that you should ask. One is, what can an agent or manager do for me? And the other one is, what can I do for the agent or the manager? Now, the first one is what can an agent or manager do for me? Well, first understand that an agent is there to put you in a room and make you meet relevant people who down the line may want to hire you. Now that means you're banking on their pre-established relationships or that of their agencies to move you forward. Let's say Nick, you really want to get staffed on The Walking Dead. I don't understand why you became you went from a comedy writer to wanting to go on The Walking Dead. Sure, zombies are funny. Yeah, exactly. Why, why not? They're funny. Sure. So let's say your agent or your agency doesn't have that pre-existing relationship with AMC, Circle of Confusion, Skybound, Valhalla Pictures. You're going to have a tougher time breaking into that Walking Dead room than even a brand new writer who's already getting meetings with the actual showrunner of the show simply because they're repped by the same company. Mm-hmm. Right. So it actually happens a lot in TV where you have these entire rooms that are wrapped by 
maybe one or two agencies or management companies. And that's not just because the agency or rather the management company was involved in the creation of the show, the packaging. It's also because when staffing happens and showrunners and their assistants are reading through hundreds of scripts, they're going to gravitate more towards the people who are recommended to them. And that will obviously include people coming from their own agencies. They usually get first. First dibs. Yeah, first dibs, first look at, at all of those people. Absolutely. Uh, and they know what's happening on the show. If a vacancy is coming up and et cetera, all of the agents of that agency are going to be the first people to know about it. Absolutely. And that is why when you ask yourself, what can an agent or manager do for me? I don't necessarily mean on the larger scale, but really more on the specific idea that you want someone who's already had all these established networks of contacts and someone whose opinion people value and respect outside of their own agency. And so, for example, if you're drawn to a specific kind of show, learn who the writers are on it and figure out who reps them. For example, I think The 100 has a bunch of Gersh and Verve people there. So that's an agency you may be interested in for that kind of show. Again, I don't mean like go and knock on Gersh's door tomorrow because you want to get stuff on The 100. I'm just saying that's an idea to keep in your mind in terms of what an agent or manager can do for you specifically. Absolutely. And that also applies to the kind of stuff that you're wanting to write. There are certain matters companies and agencies that tend to do more in certain spaces like genre or whatever for example in comedy Prince Potter Young is known to be very good for comedy management they rep a lot of the big comedians and UTA is very well known for representing essentially all the top comics and that sort of thing and comedic writers and everything as well so pay attention to what they do really well and where those relationships lie so I'm going to give you some examples of maybe your goal and then who's going to be better for you out of an agent manager or a lawyer so if you're like hey I got stuffed on one show and I have no idea how to find my next job, you probably need an agent because they're going to be the ones finding staffing opportunities for you. Or I have a great feature. It's getting a lot of heat and I want to put it in front of people who can buy it. Again, you probably want an agent because they're the ones who are going to be able to make those sales and those deals. If you have a bunch of strong samples, but you need help getting them in front of people and starting to build relationships at studios and networks and production companies, you probably need a manager. They're going to be doing more of that developmental stuff for you when you're not quite ready to sell something or not always ready to get staffed right away. Or perhaps your work has a lot of potential and you need someone who's going to nurture that, give you some tough love and help get those scripts the last 10% of the way to being ready to even take out 21. Again, you're looking for a manager there. Last example, a big producer is making an offer on your script. You have no idea what anything this contract means. Should you just sign it and hope for the best? No, you want a lawyer there. So that's a very specific example of when you would take something straight to a lawyer. Although if you had um, an agent, they could probably help absolutely. a little as well. I think there's also, if you want to make a ban on a bunch of countries, you may need a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, <laughs> to look over that deal. Donald Trump is repped by WME. <laughs> Whoa. I think, are you saying you should boycott WME? <laughs> is that what you're saying right now? I'm not going that far. In those examples that Nick gave, I think you are already seeing the clear distinction between a manager who is more about your career and giving notes and feedback on your projects versus an agent that's more about the strike and the very specific case by case basis of either getting you staffed on this job or selling that project or negotiating this contract. This brings me to my second question that you should be asking yourself, which is what can I bring to an agent or a manager? Well, if you don't have anything to show, then there's no point in trying to find a rep. We've said it before, but I'll repeat it. You need material before someone can sell you. That's obvious, but it needs repeating. Assuming you have samples, then the next focus should be about you as a person and as a writer. Specifically understand what differentiates you from the thousands of people you're competing against for that staffing gig. So on the industry side, 
that means what jobs are you working on, either as an assistant or what have you, what contests you've won, fellowships, what have you, what relationships have you built for yourself. And on the writing side, it's more about what do you write, what is your story, and how can that rap sell you as a unique voice? We talk about diversity, but that also means in the writing. And reps, especially agents, have their own variety of rosters that they've been building and acquiring over months and years. Some specialize in dramas, others specialize in comedies, and some have a mix and match of both. So how do you fit in that arsenal? So think about that perspective. Absolutely. And I think for me, ultimately, it also comes down to who you connect with personally, especially a manager is someone that's probably going to become a close friend and you need to trust and believe that they are the right person to help you and your career. I would take an individual who I knew was right for me working at a random boutique management company or agency 100% of the time over a faceless big shot who lets you rot at the bottom of their roster, even if they worked at CIA or WME. If your agent or manager at one of these boutique places is actually really good and getting a lot of work and that kind of thing, that tends to get noticed and they might eventually get offers to come work for one of those big places anyway or start their own company or whatever it happens to be. And clients will more often than not follow their rep wherever they go. They're loyal to a person, not a company. So again, it's about that one-on-one relationship a lot of the time too. I 100% agree. The same way as Nick, I would also probably go for a more boutique relationship than a big department store front if it means that I'll be lost in the picture, right? Because I'm assuming CA or WME, these places are more concerned about selling J.J. Abrams' new pilot than getting this young staff writer repped. You're not going to be a person who's bringing them in the most money. So it's not in their best interest to be spending all their time all day servicing you. So once you're a little bit bigger and you have a career, maybe you make the jump over to a bigger agency if you find that you don't have the right opportunities. To me, the litmus test is if it's mutually wanted, we've been saying it's a relationship. If you want it as much as they want it, then that's a good relationship. If there isn't at least some level of reciprocity in that aspect, then it is not a relationship. It is unrequited love. There's the old adage about the person who controls their relationship is the one who wants it the least. I think this is very true in this agent representation writer dynamic. Yeah, you absolutely want to be working with someone who is excited to work with you and has ideas and plans for what to do with you, not just like, "Eh, okay, I guess I'll give it a shot. You really want someone to be passionate about you in the same way that you're passionate about working with them. Like Mike Ovitz is passionate about David Letterman. Let's delve into some common myths and frequently asked questions. Number one, Nick, do I need representation to be staffed or work in TV? No, especially not for a first job, but it gets a little more complicated than that depending on your level, both professionally and creatively. So a lot of people will get their first job through connections or luck, and then they'll find a rep from that, again, because that rep knows that you can get work and earn the money. And again, that you have decent relationships and samples going for you. But once you get to those mid and higher levels, it really does help to have particularly an agent to be competitive for staffing positions and to have access to opportunities you can't find in the same way, like when you stumbled into your first staffing gig. Once you have that first job, you have a precedence and you need to start moving up in position and in title and pay and et cetera year by year. And agents and managers are going to help a lot with that, as well as eventually selling your own shows and working on assignments and all that kind of thing. There are actually writers who have gone their whole lives without one or the other, an agent or a manager. They might just have a manager and use a lawyer to negotiate their deals, or they might just have an agent and they don't feel the need for a manager to really work with their material or their relationships or whatever. All right, question number two. Will agents only take new clients if they are about to be staffed or have some professional writing experience? 
Not always. While it may make you more attractive as a client if you have some credits, this doesn't mean people without experience are going to be overlooked or ignored. Especially if you have some sort of traction, be it through recommendations, through contest wins, or what have you. And a lot of baby agents or even assistants becoming agents hip pockets up and coming writers in whom they see promise for reasons. That we've described above. If you don't know what hip pocketing means, it basically means unofficial representation. You're not literally signed as a client, but they may still send you out or your scripts. And usually, that's someone who values your work and wants to get you out and work with you in the long term. But for one reason or another, it doesn't make sense for them to fully commit to this contract. So, for example, if they're an assistant, then that means they're not licensed to be an agent yet. So they have no real rights to signing you as a client. Obviously, question number three is: Should I get a Manager or agent first, and are they mutually exclusive? Common wisdom says it's often better and/or easier to get a manager first, which does make sense from the perspective of developing your career and your work, and getting you to a place you're actually ready to go out and get a job and take your stuff to be read by people around town. You don't actually need a manager to get an agent, or vice versa. Often, once you have one of them, they will connect you up with people that they trust and that they work with a lot, and then they'll kind of become your team, your real team, not your paper team. <laughs> <laughs> Question number four, and I hear this one a lot. I've got an agent now. Am I set for life? I never have to worry again. They're going to do all the work for me. Yeah, of course, Nick.、Uh, no, definitely not. Just because you're represented doesn't mean you'll get staffed or sell pilots or what have you. That is why staffing season is so dreaded by everyone. It's such a competitive market. Some of it is based on talent. Some of it is based on relationship, and some of it is based on timing. Some call it luck. I call it timing. You know, an agent will get you through the door, but it will still be up to you to nail those meetings and nail the scripts and so on. Again, it's about building those relationships and capitalizing on them at the right time and the right moment. And the scary thing about this as a career in this industry is that you might work for several years on shows, and you might sell a script and be the hottest thing in town one moment, and then you might go a year without working anywhere. It's、yep. just the facts of how it all kind of plays out. So, you need to be prepared that having an agent or representation isn't going to guarantee you a steady career of jobs. You need to be putting that work in yourself and having good luck as well. Yeah, and、uh, welcome new listeners to <laughs> a happy、uh, show. Anyway, last、uh, question for the podcast. This. Episode rather. Let's say I want to rap. Should I just like approach them directly? I see them at、uh, McDonald's for some reason, or should I just cold query them? Where should I go? Typically, no. This might work for some managers at a little boutique or young, recently promoted agents, especially if they're just starting out and building their roster. They might actually read a query and consider you if it sounds interesting. But that works maybe one time out of a hundred, and that's probably being generous. You want to try and get an introduction from a mutual friend or a client of theirs or their assistant, someone who they trust. Who has read your stuff and can vouch that reading you is worth their time? Approaching reps is similar to basically any other networking or industry relationship, meaning it is a relationship. We've already covered at length in previous episodes how networking works in Hollywood and how to approach people about your scripts. In fact, for more info on that, you can check our episodes PTO five called Networking One Hundred One,、uh, seventh episode called Following Up Without Seeming Desperate. And our most recent episode, actually, or the second to last most recent episode, the twenty ninth episode, called "Getting Your TV Script Read," and you can just go to paperteam/slash/the-number of the episode to get it directly. So paperteam.co/slash/five, paperteam.co/slash/seven, and paperteam.co/slash/twenty-nine. All right, Nick. What are some、uh, takeaways? Number one: know the difference between agent, manager, and a lawyer, and what they can and can't do for you. So typically, agents find jobs and close deals, and managers are there to help develop your projects and your career. 
And number two, the dynamic between the rep and the writer is still a relationship. When deciding whether an agent is right for you, ask yourself what they can do for you, but also what you can do for them. And number three, the best way to get a rep is by doing the same things that you should already be doing as a writer, and that's turning out good samples, it's building your relationships, and finding a way to get read and noticed. Cool. And do we have any resources for our dear listeners? There is a book called How to Manage Your Agent by Chad Gervich, who is the same guy who wrote Small Screen Big Picture, which is a really great book. You should check out as well. I think we've previously included it as a resource. And that covers the whole gamut of questions regarding agents and working with one and their careers and all that kind of thing. How to Manage Your Agent, right? That's the, the name of it? How to Manage Your Agent, yeah. Cool. And my own resource is going to be a blog post from well, my own website called How to Get an Agent. And it is actually a post from this guy called Jacob Michaels, who years ago posted on the Yahoo LA TV writers group about simply getting an agent. He's a TV late agent and he basically gave a broad overview on what you should and should not do. And the number one advice is obviously write a lot of really good stuff, obviously. And six years later, it is still very relevant and we will be posting both of those links, both my link and the link for the Chad Gervish book on our show notes at paperdmalco slash 31. And that brings us to the end of our episode. As always, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us. You can get the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 3131. And as always, you can also leave us a review, preferably on iTunes at paperteam.co slash iTunes. Yeah, those reviews are going to help us get new listeners, build our community, and keep bringing you cool stuff. And I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedback, opinions, you can send them by email at ask at paperteam.co. Next week, a good friend of mine and everyone's. And Jimmy. mine. We have 89 <laughs> mutual friends on Facebook. So I think by definition, he's a good friend of mine also. Yeah. So Jimmy Nguyen is going to join us and he's going to talk about being a producer and what that even means. He worked on the little known documentary called Showrunners. Uh, you may have seen it. It's on Netflix. It has everyone you love in it. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see you next week. See you then.